people pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Don't mind me. I'm just getting ready for the premiere of a brand new motion picture event unlike anything you've ever seen. Enter the Drag Dragon. For you see, I am Sam Kellerman, and I star as Crunch, the adorable, gorgeous, and dangerous hero of this brand new book. Excuse me? Hold up, everyone. Listen, I don't know what you've been told, but I am Jade London, and I am the star of the soon-to-be worldwide sensation Enter the Drag Dragon. I play Crunch, the lead role, and I am the one and only drag queen kung fu master. Hi-ya! Listen, pay no attention to those two bitches. There's only one real star of this picture, and it's me, Matt Miwa. <laughs> Watch me transcend the screen as Crunch and kick some ass while I do it. By the end of this film, you won't even remember who Sam Bagelman and Jag London are. <laughs> ladies, ladies, ladies. All right. So we all play Crunch and enter the Drag Dragon, a movie so big it took three drag queens to complete it. So get ready for a cinematic experience full of drag queens, drag kings, I'm not a dude, buttercup, zombies, mummies, androids, flashers, streakers, bare-breasted vixens, poisonous boobies, boobies, why did it have to be boobies, a laser hoop, explosions, a basket full of dicks. And so much more we can't fit in this trailer. So who are you three supposed to be? We're the crazy dragon detective agency. Our heroes get ass on land, sea, and air. Sam Kellen, Jade London, and Matt Me. All star as Crunch in the world's first ever drag exploitation action film. Also starring Beatrice Barris, Phil Caracas, Josh Grace, Mark McDonald, Natalia Moreno. Judith DeBoer, Mary France Quartemont, Quintana Taylor, Kirby Nafta, Ali Quinn, Cassia Scully, Jesse Godard, Brendan Cowell, Shade Nick, Jordan Gerard, Derek Rustin, Jason Vaughn, Dave Bignell, Peter Monet, Will King Waylung, Laurie Harris, Dan Marr, Jonathan Hayes, Elliot Fokker, Master Dubois, and featuring special appearances by Lloyd Kaufman, Johnny Vegas, and Greg Sestero. Knuckle up, bitch. Enter the Drag Dragon. Run! A drag boo action comedy horror musical you won't want to miss. Really? I am a detective. You're the best detective to ever live. What's going on? Now that's a case we've got to solve. It'll be fun. Fun. Totally. If you want to see Enter the Drag Dragon, ask your mama. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with Lee DeMarb, the director of the new film Enter the Drag Dragon. If Lee's voice sounds familiar, it's because he's been on the show before. We had him on way back when we talked about Jesus Christ's Vampire Hunter. 
check out the interview, check out Enter the Drag Dragon, and I hope you enjoy. Lee, it's been a few years since we've talked. We've yes. got a lot of catching up to do. do. We yeah. do. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. You always make such interesting and delightful films. Big fan of your work, of course. Tell me what you've been up to over the last few years before we even start to talk about Enter the Drag Dragon, because it's been a little bit between directing projects, if memory serves. I haven't directed a film since in 14, 14 year gap. Wow. Now in, the, in the 14 years, I tried my best to make movies. Many movies came my way and just didn't happen. I spent 14 years not making movies, and but trying to make movies. It was so sad meeting producers and investors who took me down an exciting path that led nowhere. And it was frustrating. Felt a little relief recently. My favorite film of the year is Tar. Have you seen Tar with Cape Blanchett? Not yet, no. So that director had a 16-year hiatus. And I thought, okay, I beat him. (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot of exciting projects slipped through my fingers. I was going to do a Jackie Chan. I was going to direct a Jackie Chan project. Wow. I was going to do some an action film in Jamaica with Fred Williamson. I was going to go to the Philippines and direct the sequel to Cannibal Holocaust, which would have been thrilling. And they everything just like, sometimes you chase the dragon and it ain't worth chasing. I had such a good time making it to the drag dragon. It took over three years to make the movie because of what happened. My mother got sick and then COVID happened. It took over three years to finish the movie. Um, but I wish I sometimes think to myself, I wish I was still filming it because we had such a good time. And it made me think that, geez, I wish I didn't chase that dragon. I wish I just kept making these no budget movies. I would have at least had something to show for it. But here we are. And I'm really happy with Enter the Drag Dragon. It's like the first film I've ever made where I'm actually excited to show people. <laughs> sometimes it's a little nerve wracking showing your movies in front of an audience. But this one, I don't know. It's easy. My last two films that I made, the last the very last film I made, Strip Naked, and we shot the whole movie in two weeks. It was the, one of the biggest budgets, I ever, budgets I've ever had. But it was terrible being on set because it wasn't about trying to make the best movie you could. It was about trying to get through the day. And I hated that feeling. And I'd rather work on a no-budget movie and try to make the best movie I could with no money instead of having all the money in the world but only 14 days to shoot it and just be pointing the camera and not having a time to work with the actors or figure out anything interesting with the camera. I hated being on set. And I ran to my movie theater that I run now, hid there for 14 years, tried to make the movies and realized, holy shit, I was living the dream when I made Jesus Christ Vampire. I was living the dream when I made Harry Knuckles and the Pearl Necklace. I want to go back to that. I thought the dream was to make movies with other people's money that wasn't the dream i was living the dream and it was time to go back it was time it was time to go back to sleep and dream a little (laughs) it's called that dream that last dream i had is called enter the drag dragon (laughs) so how does this project come about do you just one day wake up and you're like that's it this is over i'm doing this or what are those dominoes (laughs) that have to fall into place for this that's a very good question i didn't wake up thinking drag queens i okay so i Good question. Then we have to go back to 2013 when we had the first draft of the script. And back then it was called Sneaky Tiger Fatty Dragon. And the whole film, it was all children. It wasn't a kid's movie, but the whole movie was children. And I thought it'd be fun to do a, a wild martial arts film with, you know, made for adults featuring children in the lead roles. Like all the villains would be children and all the heroes would be children and they'd be shooting and fighting. And then it would be wild. I love movies like Bad News Bears. Movies 
that have children in it that necessarily don't talk down to children. You know what I mean? A lot of kids' movies are talked down to kids like they're like they got special needs or something. <laughs> so that was my idea. Everyone in my circle who I pitched this to, no one was interested. And I often got questions like, Lee, why do you want to make a kid's movie? I'm like, I'm not making a kid's movie. I'm making a movie with kids in it. But no one liked this idea. And I should prefix that when he delivered that script in 2013, we had he had delivered three scripts. Mark Policell, who wrote this film, had three scripts, two of which were really cool movies that needed to be budgeted properly. And I said, because we weren't making movies, we were trying to get these movies made. We weren't making movies. I said to Mark, I said, you know what our problem is? We're showing this movie to producers. We're trying to show this movie to investors to get money to make a movie. Why don't we just fucking make it? Why don't we take this script, Sneaky Tiger, Fatty Dragon, and go out and make that movie? Because I think I can make that movie, opposed to the other ones, like we did Jesus Christ Vampire and Harry Knuckles. So that's why we chose that film. But it had kids and no one was interested. No one. My musician friend, Dave Bignall, who did Bitch Boots in this movie, which is a sensational song, he did Slush Panties and Harry Knuckles. He did Pearl Necklace in the movie Pearl Necklace. He did Everybody Gets Laid Tonight, Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. <laughs> he's a, he always makes my movies a hundred times better because he's more serious of an artist. <laughs> and he's he looked at me one night and said, "Why?" He's the one. Why do you want to make this movie? So I kind of felt a little down about the film, and I'm not blaming him. And I went to a screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show in Ottawa because we show the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Mayfair Theater. And there I was after the movie talking to Sam Kettleman, who stars in this film. He plays Crunch. He does Rocky Horror Picture Show live on the stage. And he was making me laugh. He knows a lot about film. He's got a really particularly good taste in movies, which I like. And I love talking to him about movies. But he made me laugh sincerely. And I left the Mayfair, my cinema, went to the same bar where no one was interested in this movie and there was a hockey game on and everyone was watching hockey and talking to me about sports and you ever talk to someone and you're not paying attention to anything they say yeah. kind of look, they're look, you're looking through them? I was looking through all these people because I was thinking about, wait a minute what if Sam started my movie? Maybe the movie's not about kids fighting crimes it's a drag queen fighting crimes that's the other thing i didn't have for this movie jesus christ vampire Hunter was at worked and i got people involved because it was an easy pitch people would say to me what's the movie about i'd say it's a kung fu action comedy horror musical about the second coming called jesus christ vampire hunter oh i want to be a part of that everyone would say to me so i didn't have a good pitch for the new movie and i didn't have a good title and then i thought to myself drag queens be a drag queen martial arts film because i don't think they've ever made one before and it could be called Enter the Drag Dragon. And I felt so excited about that title and so excited about the premise. Hockey wasn't on TV anymore. And I was like, oh, my God, you're, it was like a eureka moment. You ever have a eureka moment? And I, then I got so passionate about this. And I got on the phone the next day with the writer. And we rewrote everything. But we still the script is almost the same. And it's funny watching it with a crowd because people laugh at all of its all the parts of the movie that remind them it's still a kid's movie. It's got this. It's got this crunch and his friends all have to be home for dinner <laughs> you know and then they still live with their parents and it's that's what sam liked about it most of all the guy who plays crunch he said lee i like your script because it's not about a drag queen the lead character just happens to be a drag queen and that's what works about it so, yeah so all those chips fell into place that way that's a long answer to your question but i like telling that story <laughs> <laughs>
you said that Sam plays crunch, but many people play crunch. And I'm curious, is that a, are you being super avant-garde? Are you being Louis Bunuel, Todd Solens, or is it just, we needed to change because this project was taking so long? I wish I could be all those people. I admire those filmmakers and sometimes seems out of my grasp. (laughs) This is what happened. People, a lot of artists say, absolutely no compromise. I'm not making any compromise. And I'm not calling what happened on our film over and over again led me to compromise, but every negative thing that stood in the way of getting this movie not made turned into a positive. Everything. And it's amazing. It's like the Mayfair Theater. I run a single screen theater across the street from a multiplex. There's no reason on earth why our cinema should be open, but every time we run into a wall, we leap over it gladly. Every negative turns into a positive. So that happened here. It was 2018. I had a script reading with the entire cast and crew. We had our first draft of Enter the Drag Dragon, and I had the entire cast and crew sit down at the Mayfair Theater in front of three long tables, and we read the script all together. It was really exciting. I was looking forward to doing it, and we were going to start shooting within that week. What happened just before I sat down at my table is I got a call from Newfoundland, which is a province out east here in in Canada, that my mother was sick and she was dying, and she didn't have very long to live. And I sat down at the script reading. This time it wasn't so much I was looking through someone. I was just explaining that how you're... I was there. I was present. But at one point I had to take a break from the read to go call my dad to tell him that mom was dying. So we got through the script reading and I didn't tell anybody. I kept it to myself. So the next day, realizing I can't start this movie next week. I need to put the brakes on a little bit. And so I put the brakes on a little bit and my mother went to the hospital and we did all that chemo stuff. And I had, I should say, I had a very positive experience. My mother did pass and I had a very positive. It was really great because I spent all my free time with her. In and out of the hospital, I said to her mom, I'm going a little nuts. You know what would take my mind off your passing a little bit? Give me a break. Give me a break. Let me go make my movie on, on a Saturday or a Sunday. Let me take my mind off of this for a few hours and I'll come back. I would be with my mother from Monday till Saturday and shoot on a Sunday. That's how we started. And we were shooting here and there. And so I was only shooting a couple hours a week. And then when she got really sick, I'd have to stop. And then she'd get better and we'd shoot again and then she'd get sick. So it was a hard start. And then when my mother did die, COVID started. Oh my God, just when I thought I was getting, okay, my mother passed, a month went by. I need to make this movie because the movie became therapy it kind of it kind of gave me it was like my kryptonite i was so down about my mother passing but she gave me my love for movies and star wars let me make this movie and get my mind off of things but covid started and sam told me too because we were having all these slow starts and he said to me lee i'm now i've got a job he got a serious job i can't be available every time you're available now and i thought sam i need to make in this movie because i'm my mother passed away and I just, I haven't made a movie in 10 years at that point. I need to make this movie. And I had this idea of changing the lead actor, but not replacing him. And I thought to myself, it could be really funny, but I can't change him once. I have to change him twice. <laughs> I have to make each act of the movie a different leading actor. And if I can think, if I can do that, then I think it's really funny. It was inspired by two movies one of which was Emmanuel Four. <laughs> I don't know if you know the Emmanuel movies, but Sylvia Cristel, who played Emmanuel in the first three, decided she didn't want to really be in part four. So she filmed the sequence at the beginning of the movie where she goes to get plastic surgery. Mm. 
they put the bandages on her face, and when she comes out again, it's a different actress, a younger Manuel. And then in in Walking Tall too, that happens again. The lead the vigilante goes gets shot or he gets into a car accident at the end of part one and part two opens and they take his bandages off it's a different actor and i thought what i always thought that was funny and i wanted to do it in harry knuckles actually it was an idea i had for harry knuckles that he would die and come back a different actor so here it is i can try it and sam gave me the permission to move forward that way sam i'm gonna keep everything i shot with you in the movie but i'm now gonna shoot the second act with jade london i'm gonna set, shoot the third act with matt miwa and when I watch the movie with audiences, that's their favorite part of the film. That you know that guy was the musician who did slush panties. Who, I told you that he didn't wasn't interested in all the movie I was about to make. I showed him Drag Dragon, like before any of the music was put in, and he loved when Crunch turned into Jade London, he was like, Holy shit, Lee, that's brilliant. <laughs> it works so well. And I was so used to watching it, I didn't think it was a big deal anymore anymore. I forgot the magic of changing the lead actor. And I was so happy that the guy who wasn't interested in this movie originally was so interested now in what was happening. So it was a negative when your lead actor says, I can't finish your movie, and we finish it anyway, and he gives me his blessing. Negative to turn into an extreme positive. I'm glad to hear that it was amicable because there is always the fear of oh this person walked off so i'm so glad that that happened (laughs) because i was you must have then had to have shot everything in sequence or just about everything i started off that way and i often don't but you know what i love hearing about movies that are shot in sequence it never happens they shot et in sequence which makes a lot of sense because the kids fall in love with the damn puppet the movie when they're saying goodbye to ET, they're really saying goodbye to to ET. It's beautiful that the, that decision making when filmmakers make a movie with a budget shooting sequence. I think it's lovely. But with Sam, for some reason, we started off making this movie because as the movie goes along, the third act is all action, and I have it peppered with a few action scenes. We just ended up shooting a lot of the first act first. But when I got after my mom passed and we started started making the movie, I decided I thought would be really helpful is i shot all the big scenes let me here's the summer let's shoot all the big scenes let's shoot the skydiving sequence and all the martial arts fighting at the end so i did all the big fighting first so then it thought maybe it would feel easier to finish it with dialogue didn't always feel better easier because of that but once we went with the route of shooting with three different actors as the lead we shot the action stuff first so if you're watching the movie, it's fun sometimes to think about what's the first scene. Anyway, Greg Sestero was the very first thing we shot on the movie. His scene is the young pilot. I found a pirate ship about a 90-minute drive from Ottawa that we went and shot on. Greg was in town. I said to my mom, and my mom knows Greg. He's like, oh, go shoot with your friend Greg Sestero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's that. It, yeah, it was really fun. It was really fun. It felt like the movie kept coming alive. Every change that happened, everything that happened, it felt like I was starting on a new movie. It felt so exciting. Where in my last film, I hated being on set. I was trying to get through the days. I wasn't trying to make a good film. This time, I felt, I felt like we were making trying to make the best film we could with no budget. Keeping in mind, this is a no budget movie. There was no producer involvement. There was no investors involvement. I didn't get any grants to make this movie. We just took a camera and with friends and made the best movie we could. And geez, was it fun? It was like a roller coaster ride. And you never hear that. You never hear stories about production being fun. A lot of people say, "Oh, my favorite thing is editing," and you hear expressions like, "Yo, I'm going to fix it in post." This wasn't this that kind of movie. We had more fun on set than we did any in any other procedure of making the movie. 
I really think that that comes through. It comes through that it is a bunch of friends making a movie. So that's why I figured that there was an amicable departure of Sam, just because it yes. just feels like such a kind of like Andy Hardy. Let's go put on a show <laughs> type of thing. I really appreciate you saying that. First, yes, yeah, Sam was amicable. He was great, and he's championing Jade London and Matt Miwa, he looked up to Jade London's the only real drag queen in the movie. And I know Sam looked, and when I told Sam that we got Jade London for the movies, like, you got Jade London. He was so excited, but yeah, you said something else there. I was going to talk about, Oh, what you said about, it seems like it was a bunch of, it seemed like it was when you watched the movie, you got the sense that we were having a good time filming it. That's my favorite thing about Jackie Chan movies. Those early movies in the eighties into the early nineties, you can tell that they were on set, making things up as they went along. It comes across through the lens. And that's something you don't learn in film studies. That's something you don't get better at. It just, when that happens, it's magical. And when the audience recognizes that, it's magical as a viewer. I love noticing that in a movie. Sometimes it's better than anything that Lou Benoit can come up with. <laughs> <laughs> so, how did COVID end up affecting you? Did you have to shut down or were you shooting just outdoors things? How did that go for you? Yeah, we shot when COVID started. It was really serious. And in Ottawa, we hit my business shut down. Everything mm -hmm. like we were closed. No one was walking the sidewalks. Months would go by we tackling anything. And when I thought I could start something, we would a few days before getting the set and someone will tell me, oh, my, I was with someone who got COVID or oh, Lee, I can't make it after all. I used to be able to drive and pick up people to bring them to set. If we were shooting with five people on set, Five cars had to go to set because we couldn't all be in the same car. So, yeah, we shot mostly when COVID was serious. We shot mostly just in the spring and summer outside. When we when society got better working in bubbles and we got felt a little safer working in bubbles, I was able to shoot in the winter at the Mayfair because the Mayfair was closed. It's a cinema, a single screen theater that I own here in Ottawa. It's a big theater. It's in the movie. So that's. That was my, that became our studio. I could shoot in the Mayfair. A lot of stuff was shot at the Mayfair. All the hospital scenes, when you see Crunch getting his bandages taken off, that's all shot at the Mayfair. We did a lot of looping and dialogue and sound effects stuff at the Mayfair. The Mayfair, we did a lot of green screen work at the Mayfair, cutting heads off and stuff. So the Mayfair became the working, the working. In the movie, Crunch, Jaws, and Fastbuck are worried that the Mayfair is never going to open again. In real life, we I was afraid the Mayfair was closed. I was living the fast I was I became fast buck. I thought I was gonna not have a business. And if I closed the Mayfair, what was the end of the movie gonna be? The happy ending of the movie is the Mayfair opens and every that's the happy ending that cinema goes on. If I lost that business, I'd have to come up with a new ending that had nothing to do <laughs> of celebration of life getting back to normal. One of those signs of life getting back to normal is being able to enjoy ourselves collectively in a room like a cinema. So symbolic in so many ways. I'm so lucky that Mayfair still existed for me when we finished the end of the movie. And it allowed us to make the movie. In the movie, you know, the movie, they live in the Mayfair and they watch movies and they learn martial arts from watching movies. And, and that was what happened over COVID. We were, I was living in the Mayfair and I'd have screenings for the cast and crew old and new movies and was our it was our lucasfilm ranch <laughs> <laughs> right there in the middle of ottawa i love it or, the, or our american zoe trope or whatever. yeah i was so happy to see phil caracas show up again just as soon as he came on screen i was just like yes yeah it's exciting i know it's exciting 
I'm happy he's in the movie too. It's funny. I we're showing in London in a few weeks. Right after I'm going to London for the Star Wars celebration for four days, and my wife's oh, you should try to show your movie in London while you're there. And sure enough, we got a screening right after the Star Wars celebration. Wow! So I, I get to invite every all my heroes from Star Wars to come see my movie. But it's funny when we go to different cities, people often say, "Is Phil going to come?" <laughs> because they wanted they want to meet Harry Knuckles, they want to meet Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. <laughs> it's funny, Phil being in this movie. It's nice he plays the mentor. You know, the movie's about, no no one knows martial arts. They watch these kung fu movies and they think they know martial arts throughout the movie. They're not Jackie Chan. They're not Bruce Lee. They're a bunch of people pretending to know martial arts. My entire filmography is me pretending <laughs> to be a filmmaker, <laughs> pretending to know what we're doing. And Phil playing that role as Fastbuck, I think, is uh, fitting. And it might be his last role. He's talking about never making a movie again. He's he feels like, yeah, I think that's my last one. He keeps saying it. Even mm-hmm. though we're another movie, you might not see him in front of the camera anymore. But sometimes in the middle of the night, when we have, if I get a shot in him, he'll agree to do a role. And if memory serves, there's a family connection, too, with the character of Sugar Tits. Sugar Tits? My dog. That's my dog. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, my dog's name is Ahsoka in real life. There's Ahsoka there. Yeah, so Sugar Tits is my dog. And it's funny. I... My wife wouldn't be in the movie because she thought the movie was too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> my daughter's in it, my son's in it, and my dog's in it. Yeah. And it's funny, she's on IMDb. My dog is listening on IMDb now. Any actors I want to be actors I know her dying to get on IMDb. And my dog's listed there as sugar tits on IMDb. It's funny. <laughs> so when did you finally put together the whole thing? When was your premiere? Just a few months ago, January twenty-seventh. Wow. January 27th at the Mayfair. Yeah. It became a two that at one point it was going to be a 2020 movie. And then COVID happened. It became a, we tried to maybe 2021, 20, then I felt 22, 22 was realistic. And then it got to the point where it's, we've never been in a rush to finish this movie because of the way everything went. Let's not be in a rush to finish it. Now let's do the post-production right and have the right music. I love the music in this movie. And I love the sound mix that Ali Quinn did and took some time to, polish it a little bit so it's a 2023 movie yeah that's a i think that means that we sat down at table read in 2018 how crazy is that wow. i had a script in 2013 anyway <laughs> i thought jesus christ vampire Hunter took long <laughs> <laughs> so are you sending this to festivals or are you allowing them to in, invite you what's happening with the film right now it's a different world yeah Festivals aren't the way they used to be. Festivals continued to operate during pandemic, but they went mostly all virtual and they learned a different way of being a festival. And now that we're out of the pandemic, are you, do you feel like we're out of the pandemic? Yes. No, I just caught COVID again the other day. So, oh, I, wow. Yeah. Wow. All right. Hope you feel better. Uh, yeah, I know. I still have a lot of friends who wear a mask everywhere. And I know the guy who writes Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. Hasn't seen a movie in the theater since 2019. Mm. He's still afraid to go out. But that being said, there it feels more normal than it's had in a long time. And I think this summer it will definitely feel. I have a feeling in a few weeks I'm going to get on a plane with no mask. And I'm going to go to the Star, Star Wars Celebration with no mask. Last time everyone wore masks. So why did I bring all this up? <laughs> what was your question? We were talking about how it's a different world now with film festivals. Oh, So film festivals, they went virtual. And now that we're almost back to normal, a lot of them are still virtual and they're not, they haven't had 
a lot of them are, haven't gone back to having people all together to watch films. So I feel like with this film, now that now it's out, I'm relying. It's weird when we when I made Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter and Harry Knuckles, I really relied on film festivals to get the film out there. But now that I own a movie theater, I co-own a movie theater with some partners, but I program movies. I've gotten to know some cinema owners, or at least I know how to approach other cinemas about showing a movie. So I've been relying on booking movie outright, doing straight bookings. We're showing in five different cities in Ontario. We're doing a screening in Brooklyn, New York, London, England, L.A. We are doing film festivals, but most of the big screenings are straight bookings of the film, which is, I feel like Herschel Gordon-Lewis and walling the movie. I'm going to a film festival on Saturday in North Bay, Ontario. We won four film festival awards. And every time you win or every time you get, you know, film freeway. Yes. The way you submit to film festivals through film freeway. And it's a social media hub for filmmakers submitting their movies. So if you get into a film festival, if you're lucky enough to win at a film festival, they say you should tweet this to celebrate. So I just press a button tweet. And every time I tweet an excellence, I hear from other film festivals like, oh, my God, congratulations. We want to show your film. Here's a discount code. So Film Freeway has been great in terms of really getting it out there. Like I'm getting a lot of I haven't made a movie in 14 years. And my last two films weren't film festival friendly movies. So a lot of a lot has changed. I'm learning the sort of social dynamic around film festivals. It's so easy to submit now, too. You just upload your movie and send them a link and boom, you're submitted. It's like there's no more printing forms, filling it all out faxing it instead of getting your film tra- you transfer to vhs it's so easy it's, it's it costs still costs money but it's easier to submit my movie to a film festival than tie my shoes <laughs> i'm really glad to hear that you're showing this in theaters rather than just all virtual because i think the experience of seeing this movie with an audience is so crucial because you get to feed off of that energy and enjoy how other people are enjoying it immensely yeah, I've seen the film eight times with a theater audience. And it's, yeah, you can sit there and hear people laugh the way they laugh. Oh, 100%. And not only that, I learned being around filmmakers like Crispin Glover. I don't know if you know Crispin Glover's movies as a director. He's mostly known for his acting, but he's directed two or three movies that he's never transferred the home video. They shot them in 35 millimeter, and you can't see them unless you've seen them in a the theater with him. And I thought that was really neat. You got here's this movie you can only see in the theater. You can't down. There's so many people who don't want to come see movies at the Mayfair. Or they'll just wait for it to come on home video or streaming services, which is mostly now the days a week later. I'm booking movies at the Mayfair that are opening that'll be on the streaming platform in a week, which is sad. Mm-hmm. If the industry dies, they're going to look back to now and how things operate. But I'm not sent anyone an MP4 or a Blu-ray or a DVD. I think right now we've been out for three almost three months and there's no way i don't think for anyone to bootleg this movie i've not made it happen because i greg sestero and tommy Wiseau is another one just watch how careful they are with who they show the movies to so they keep people getting people to come to see movie in the theater like the room is still the best way to see that movie in the theater and i don't think a lot of people look to tommy Wiseau as an inspiration but i know tommy Wiseau, and i look to him for as an inspiration you got to look at these people sometimes as a a showman rather than an artist like lloyd kaufman is the best showman i know he's not lubin well or paul thomas anderson or anything like that but he knows how to market his movie if you took away money if you took away the marketing machine from the best filmmakers in america right now worldwide right now they wouldn't know how to release their movies as well as 
Lloyd Kaufman does. So my hat's off to him and always will be because he showed me. I read about how Herschel Gordon Lewis was a showman. I read about that and Roger Corman, but I experienced it with Lloyd at the Cannes Film Festival a few times. And it's really something. It's really inspiring. He's got all these naked girls running around, throwing up vomit and blood and guts. But it's inspiring because, look, no, no one's paying attention to Jean-Claude Van Damme and his new movie anymore. They're all paying attention to Lloyd Kaufman's showmanship. Really cool. <laughs> so I know you've got some screenings, some festivals. You're going over to the Star Wars celebration. May the fourth be with you. <laughs> Thank you. What else is going on for you? Of course, you've always got the Mayfair as the business that you run. But are you now already starting to think about that next thing that's going to set that fire for you because it sounds yeah. like you had such a great time i know like i said i wish i was still filming it and we have another movie idea in mind the dick toes movie <laughs> a movie about a private detective who has 10 dicks or toes who's in enter the drag dragon and everyone's expecting me to make that movie and we got such a good idea for the movie so many good characters and it feels like another enter the drag dragon which i'd love to make but the industry is so different now too right it's like it was I was so inspired to make Jesus Christ Vampire and Harry Knuckles because of the way film festivals received it. Going to show it in cinemas with a film festival or not was so exciting, but no one wants to leave their house anymore. And so people are so used to now waking up. Oh, there's a new episode of The Mandalorian. They don't have to get out of bed. They just wake up, turn on TV, and there's Star Wars, a Star Wars movie, which seemingly seems free, <laughs> on your TV. And people, people are so used to all the... Amazon Prime and Netflix, Disney Plus, Paramount Plus. There's an MGM Plus, apparently. But for me, it's about the cinematic experience. It's about going to a movie theater. And geez, my partner at the Mayfair Theater won't go see a movie in the theater. He wow. asked me for a screener of the movie. It's like, oh, man, hard times. Um, so that part of my inspiration of making a movie might be gone a little bit. But I do really want to make this film. And might start shooting it next year i'm gonna i think i'm really busy getting this film at the film festivals i'm programming at the mayfair and I'm, I'm pushing this movie as far as i can i'm gonna go to london i think after june after june we might get a national we might be able to release the film at every major it looks like cineplex odeon is going to release the movie for us across the country in june after that maybe i can settle down a little bit and concentrate on this script and have a script ready by the winter and start shooting in the spring or summer the new the dictos movie i'd really like that to happen it'd be at one point i thought i would maybe shooting again on 16 millimeter but we had such a fun time with the digital effects on this film i don't know i don't know i'm excited about this film let's hope let's hope i stay inspired about it there's some things about this industry that's a little bit of a put down because i'm running a movie theater i'm watching people i know not come see movies i know producers who live across the street who haven't seen a movie in the theater in a decade it's sad everyone's so used to staying at home every time i see a netflix movie nominated for best picture at the academy awards i watch the oscars i like watching the oscars but every time all quiet on the western front won or pinocchio won i was like fuck off i love game of toro and i'm not trying to put the filmmakers down but they make a deal with the devil and that loser is the audience the Guillermo Toro just announced he's doing Frankenstein for Netflix. That's really fucking exciting if I get to see it in a movie theater. Sitting at home watching it at home just is like watching an episode of Seinfeld. I don't really care. It's just there. I'm excited to go see John Wick tomorrow night in the theater with a crowd. I'm excited to go see Jackie Chan's new movie that's opening at the Mayfair in April because I'm seeing it in the theater. I'm leaving the house. I'm lucky enough. I'll bring my son and we'll sit in there and 
and gush over these big screen experiences. It's hard to be excited for the new the new Martin Scorsese's making movies for Netflix. I, it, I deal with Netflix. I book movies with them. It makes me feel disgusting inside, mm. just knowing that they're just using me to show their movies so they can get nominated. They want to show that prove to Steven Spielberg, whoever's pissed off that they're getting nominated. We showed theatrically for a week. We didn't care about it if anyone came, <laughs> but we showed it for a week and. They do all these awful things. I don't know. I can go on and on. I don't want to be negative, but we need to come. I hope we come out of the other end of this. There's a few films out there, though, that are inspiring. There's a few films out there that are still not available on streaming. Films like Living. Living and what's uh, the The Failments came out like that. I was so sad. Living was one of our big films of the year. There's three. I can't even think of the other two right now. But I love seeing a movie out there doing well at our cinema. That mostly just because it's not streaming right now women talking gangbusters living gangbusters for us it means a lot and i can say you know why it's doing well because it's not streaming anywhere <laughs> fuck you netflix i'm sorry but I <laughs> <laughs> so if people are listening to this and they're just champing at the bit where can i see enter the drag dragon where's the best place so they can actually see if it's going to be at a film festival or a screening near them that's sad i used to have a website i used to have a ww i used to have www.odessafilmworks.com you can follow me i'm on facebook that's <laughs> facebook instagram twitter Lita Marb. follow me there and my, my watch is talking to me follow me there and you know what i'd love to hear from people if you live in a city and you don't see a show screening, let me know what theater is near you and I'll go pimp my movie at your theater. That's what's happening a lot lately. We promoted the fact that we're going to be in London and someone in Scotland said, hey, you should show here. So I'm going to reach out to the Scotland cinema owners. And that's a lot of fun. That's all these little dots connecting. I imagine by the end of the summer or fall, it'll be streaming somewhere. But right now, I hope your listeners who are interested at all get to see it theatrically. Yeah, I hope saying to you, come follow me on Twitter and Facebook is attractive enough. I can't tell if it is because no one's, so many people I know are avoiding social media. Lee, thank you so much. It is always so great talking with you. I really appreciate this. And I hope your listeners don't judge me based on (laughs) the book of Boba Fett right there. I know so many people hate it, but I've got kids. Don't judge me. (laughs) (laughs) I love trash cinema. John Waters is my hero. Russ Meyer is my hero. And if you love those guys, I think you might look into the drag dragon too. It's more like that than what's behind me. But anyway, I do love what's behind me too. (laughs) Thanks for having Mike. It was a really fun talking to you. Thank you. Always great talking with you, sir. Always great to catch up with you. I hope to catch up again with you soon. (laughs) 